So let me just start out um, <laughs> by making you all aware that I am really, really tired. Um, I'm exhausted from the last week. Um, I'm like, all I want to do is cry and eat chocolate tired. Um, anybody else sort of exhausted from the last week of information and, and, and the flow of fear-mongering and things going on and questions for ourselves of what does the future hold and, and how can I protect myself and my loved ones? All these things are sort of coming at us a million miles an hour all week long. I am truly only able to coherently speak to you this morning in ways that make sense through the magic of coffee. <laughs> the blessed elixir of life for the tired pastor and parent and worker and uh, human being trying to stay engaged and awake. So this week, um, when about the 10,000th message uh, came across my um, <laughs> screen, phone, watch, and heart. Um, I want to just kind of just go under my desk and, uh, and go fetal under my desk and uh, say, just bring me chocolate and let me watch YouTube videos of my, my favorite soccer player, Lionel Messi, while coronavirus happens out there. Just go away, coronavirus. By the way, Lionel Messi, those of you who are from Greene County, is the best soccer player that's ever lived. Hashtag Blaugrana. So, just in case you're the last person on the planet um, who is not yet connected to the matrix, um, coronavirus is real, it's out there, it has killed uh, 6,000 people worldwide so far as of this morning, and uh, pretty much everybody on the planet and in Greene County is freaking out um, because there's no more toilet paper and there's no more sanitizer. Now think about this for a second here. Think about the situation as it stands today. Think about something with me for just a second, or a couple of minutes. It's an interesting dynamic, isn't it? How in our modern world, with the absolute constant flow of information, and the constant feeling we have as a result of wrestling with the constant flow of media posts and memes and scripture quotes and doomsday quotes and funny things and tragic things and news reports and cool graphs that move and those numbers that just scroll every time you refresh to see what the latest is. It's interesting, isn't it? In a world like this where the constant flow of the unmediated and poorly mediated and very particularly mediated information in our world actually affects us. Think about this. There's more going on internally in the life of the mind and heart for us than we realize. There's much more actually going on in us and our hearts and mind, hearts and minds typically, than we are aware of. Think about this. Two weeks ago, the vast majority of us didn't think particularly of coronavirus as something we'd have to do much about. And so clearly there's more going on in the life of the mind and heart than we typically pay attention to. We know this, and here's why we know this, because we're tired, we're exhausted, just 
thinking about, wondering about, processing all of the, the what ifs and the unknowns and the fears of what might be. Think about this. So far, most likely, scientifically, empirically, according to the data and the statistics that are out there that I can show you on my phone right now, so far, chances are at this point that not a single one of us here today, think about this, not a single one of us here today has actually, most likely, been physically infected or affected by this virus, comma, yet, it is likely that literally every single one of us who is aware of what's going on has actually already been physically affected. We're dropping some knowledge, y'all. If you're tired of hearing about it, if you're worried, if you, if you feel things about it, that hinder your progress and movement and make you wonder about your relationships and yet you haven't been actually physically affected by the coronavirus, you've been affected by the coronavirus. So the reality of who we are goes far beyond what we understand. And so this fear of the the known and the unknown has got us all asking these questions like, should we cancel church? Should we cancel school? Should we cancel sports and travel plans and March Madness and this cruise that my kid was supposed to go on that I've already lost money on? And all these mass gatherings of like 250 people, 150 people, 25 people, maybe three or four people in a room that's a certain size. When I walk in, oh no, should I even be here? Should you be here? Let's not touch, don't talk to me. No breathing somebody sneeze that's where we get in the span of the last week or two frankly this sounds silly all week long I've thought man my face is a little tingly <laughs> I thought all week long multiple times now that I think about it so are my so are my feet and my hands are sort of tingly I'm feeling things and, and noticing things and aware of things physically in my body that I wasn't ever week week ago. So the press, the press of these circumstances has revealed that we are much more complex. Much more is going on in here. And we are much more fearful, uninformed, and truly limited than we knew a week or two ago. Than we typically think of ourselves as being. The only difference is that we know about coronavirus today. It's the only difference. What it's showing, what it's pressing on us in these circumstances is that we don't have the control that we felt we had. We don't know as much as we think we did. And frankly, it turns out that as the scriptures tell us, and we're just kind of hard to get around to recognizing, we are indeed actually frail and actually limited, and extremely fallible, and truly far more clueless than we thought just two weeks ago when we were deluded and blissfully unaware. So we're gonna look 
in a world like that, that we're now living in, we're gonna look at three principles that touch on this question of having Christian courage in a world of coronavirus. Three principles. And while there are numerous ways that we can sort of frame uh, these circumstances we're in, I'm gonna go a direction with these three principles that'll be a little bit difficult to hear. These three things we're gonna talk about are gonna be a challenge to us because our tendency as selfish human beings who cannot help but pervert the world into one big self-protection project, our tendency is already to do, our tendency when you think about it, is already to do whatever we need to keep ourselves physically safe. We've already addressed that with our coronavirus strategy and some of the changes we're making. We're not touching, we're not breathing on each other, we're not passing the offering in communion. We're trying to stay uh, further away from each other and how we sit the whole nine yards. We've already addressed that and none of us wonders, what are the kinds of steps I should take to keep myself physically safe? No one's wondering or struggling with those questions. So we're not gonna address that here. They're real. You should be careful. Be aware of those things, yes. Most of us are not struggling, and as this continues to develop, we likely struggle with orienting our time and our energy and our resources towards staying personally, physically safe. The problem with which we're gonna struggle moving forward is this whole other world uh, that gets at the unawareness, the messy middle, the things for which we don't have clear and obvious answers yet. How to have Christian courage in a world of coronavirus. So how do we continue to move forward by struggling with the selfless protection of others around us who are vulnerable? And how do we do that in this new coronavirus world? So I'm gonna frame things today by answering this specific question that sort of leaves behind all that physical stuff and it talks about all the ways that we as Christians can live with courage in this new world. And I'm gonna say, this question uh, twice before we get to the three principles because this is the way we're gonna answer um, that Christian courage thing. When does our concern for safety, when does our concern for safety in the world begin to erode our trust in God and our willingness to risk for his glory? That's the question we're gonna answer with these three principles. And let me say it again because it's kind of a long question. When does our concern for safety in this world begin to erode our trust in God and our willingness to risk for his glory? Now before we jump in, the New Testament does indeed speak of sort of this side of our responsibility to care for the well-being of our people. Let's take that as a given. We're not gonna really address that stuff. It does talk about that some. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, be responsible to take care of your, your family and your loved ones. That's like a, a, a responsibility for you. Matthew 10.23, Jesus says, if they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. Those are not bad impulses but we all know what to do in those. We all understand what it means to take care of our people physically and to run and flee from persecution and the New Testament addresses that some. But the New Testament, the preponderance of what the scriptures tell us about the general bent of the follower of Jesus is it's toward a sacrifice and a selflessness that comes from trust in God and willingness to risk for his glory. Coronavirus could be, should be, hopefully will be a real test for us as believers. 
Do we have that sort of bent toward a selflessness and a, and a sacrifice that comes from a trust in God and a willingness to risk for his glory? So when does concern for safety weaken and erode godly trust and risk? Number one, choosing safety in this world begins to erode our trust in God and our willingness to risk for his glory when choosing safety means refusing to let go of our stuff. That's the first principle. When we refuse to let go of our stuff, that's that, that, that precipice over which, that threshold, that, that test for us that may say, hey, this is, when, this is when you're beginning to let your, let your trust be in this world. Matthew 5, 40 to 42 says it this way. If anyone would sue you, in other words, accusing you, perhaps unjustly, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, it's just a piece of clothing, let him have your cloak as well, which is another piece of clothing. In other words, in the face of opposition, of accusation, maybe even unjust, deserved or not, the believer in Jesus has a strength of knowing the earthly blessings that we have come from him and are his anyway, and that we have every spiritual blessing we could ever know in Christ, like we're talking about in Ephesians for the last 10 weeks. The believer in Jesus knows that I have everything I need in the here and in the not yet, so that whether deserved or not in the face of accusation, I'm willing to do what Jesus did for me and give back more than was owed. Look at verse 41. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two. These are the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. And in the context, a Roman soldier could come up to anybody who's a citizen or not a citizen, a Roman citizen or not, and, he, and that, that soldier could say, hey, you, take my stuff, carry it a mile. It was a law you had to. And so the believer in Jesus who understands that they've got everything they need now and everything they will ever need then, the believer in Jesus can say, yeah, absolutely, no problem. You want to go another mile? Think of what a Roman soldier thinks at that point. Whoa, that's weird. Hopefully, during coronavirus season, there are people in your world going, hmm, that's a little selflessly weird. Look at verse 42. Give to the one who begs from you. People who beg from you typically don't have what they need. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. There's no guarantee you're getting this back. <laughs> So the follower of Jesus has a bent to give back more than obligated, deserved, than seems warranted, than what feels fair. Why? Because we all know what it means to have in Jesus what was not fairly given to us, which is eternal life you couldn't earn and that you didn't deserve. That's, by the way, the basic definition of grace, the grace that saves Look at 1 Corinthians 6, verse 7. To have lawsuits at all with one another, this is Paul writing in the context of the local church, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. And he says this, why not rather suffer wrong? Like the relationship is worth keeping for you to just go ahead and say, take my stuff. I know it's not my stuff, take my stuff. It's your stuff, it's not my stuff, it's God's stuff, take that stuff. 
Why not rather, instead of mess up the relationship, just be defrauded? It's not me, it's it's the words of scripture, y'all. The bent of the person who follows Jesus, who knows what they have in the here and the hereafter, is to not refuse to just let go. And when we begin to refuse to let go, let that be a sign to us in this world of coronavirus that there's something about Christian courage we're not quite getting. Maybe a little bit hard to hear in a world of coronavirus where you go to the store and there are a few of those shelves that are bare, but when you know you have, when you have everything you could ever need in Jesus and it's his anyway, this is what looks like him in a world of coronavirus. It's all yours anyway. Hebrews 10, 34, strong verse, great verse. The last one to make this point for us here about having Christian courage by letting go of your stuff. 10.34 says, you had compassion on those in prison, and look at this, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Choosing safety in this world begins to erode and weaken our trust in God and the platform from which we extend to others the demonstration of his glory when we refuse to let go of our stuff. Second thing, that it's a principle for us moving forward in a world of coronavirus, is that choosing safety in this world begins to erode our trust in God and our willingness to risk for his glory when choosing safety means that our lives don't shine light on God's glory because our hopes in this world. Let me say that again. Choosing safety in this world begins to erode our trust in God and our willingness to risk for his glory when choosing safety means that our lives don't shine light on God's glory. Why? Because our hope is in this world. Let me show you what I mean. 1 Peter 3.15 says this. We read it earlier. Great verse. In your hearts, honor, which is a way of saying worship every thing about how you do what you do and what you have is done as worship when you honor Christ the Lord as holy in your hearts. Look at this. Always being prepared, always being ready to make a defense, an apologetic, an argument for. In other words, your, your life is making an argument for the, the truth of the glory of God. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason. What's the What's the reason? for the hope that I see in you. (laughs) Let me say this succinctly. Why would anybody ever ask you for a reason for the hope that is in you if you're living like your hope is in the safety and the comfort of this world? Why would would anybody ever ask you that? If if they look at you and they realize, 
that's me, that's them, they act like I do. Hope seems to be in the same kinds of things and structures and strategies and stuff of this world like mine. (laughs) They hope in this world like I do. If nobody's ever asking you for a reason for the hope that is in you, perhaps it's because that hope that you have is very obviously fixed, rooted, enmeshed with this world. And when that's the case, on whom is your life shining light? A good test for your behavior in a world of coronavirus moving forward is asking yourself whether your actions, your behavior, are shining light in the glory of God because your hope isn't rooted and enmeshed in this stuff here. That's a good test. It's a good question. Finally, number three, choosing safety in this world. It begins to erode our trust in God and our willingness to risk for his glory when choosing that safety means that we don't enjoy the freedom from the love of money that is rooted in God's promise to take care of us. Choosing safety in this world, it begins to erode our trust in God and our willingness to risk for his glory when choosing safety means that we don't enjoy the freedom from the love of money that's rooted in God's promise to take care of us. In other words, We experience freedom from the love of money because we understand that we have God's promises in the here and now as well as in the future. Look at this verse, Hebrews 13, five and six. This is so good. This may be a great verse for you to just come back to in the coming weeks and months of uh, of coronavirus, however long it goes. Hebrews 13, five and six, great verse. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Why? For he has said, Jesus has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You mean the freedom from this world and the the stuff of this world, the material things and, and the money that feels like security that suddenly you care about two weeks after you've become aware of the world with coronavirus. That freedom we have is rooted in Jesus' promise. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Which is why verse six says, so therefore we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? What can coronavirus do to me? Make you sick? Duh. Yeah. Potentially make you suffer physically? Absolutely. It already is for some people. Kill you? Yeah. I will not fear what can man do to me. I know where I'm going. I know what I've got. I know what he's given me. I know his promises. I actually trust and believe in them. Can't you see it by how I live? To live as a Christian with courage in the world of coronavirus in which we now find ourselves means people look at your life and they go, it's clear now, two weeks later, where your hope lies. I can see it. 
This is an opportunity, actually. It's an opportunity for God's people to display God's glory. Just like two weeks ago. Listen to the words of a favorite preacher of mine. Listen to the words of John Piper and what he says about how the glory of God shines through Christian courage. He says this, the glory of God shines much more brightly in the countercultural and the counterintuitive risk-taking of God's people than it does in the self-protection that looks just like the way the unbelieving world lives. Friends, we're a church who's called to be all about helping people find and follow Jesus, <laughs> even during pandemics. As God's people, if we have Jesus, if we've, if we've said yes to his perfect and sinless life, lived for us, that was sacrificed for us to make us right with God, if we have Jesus, we are not afraid to die, we're not afraid to give, we're not afraid to sacrifice, to, to let go of the stuff of this world, which was never ours in the first place and has always been his and it always will be. And we live accordingly in ways that the world looks at and goes, man, there's something goofy about those people. They aren't freaking out. They know they have Jesus or something. May that be what we give ourselves to, not the, not the extremes of, of the world, but the messy middle where we're called to do what God's called us to do all along and two weeks ago. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, forgive us for continuing to make the world in our image and pervert it for our glory and for our purposes. We are grateful to you that you have accounted for us beyond what we could for ourselves in Jesus, and we love you for that. We want to continue to have our lives and our marriages and our families and our relationships modeled after what you've done for us so that the world would look at us and they would understand that you are God, that you are owner of it all, and that you are worth us giving our lives to. In the name of your son, Jesus, who gave his life for us.